Uh, you can open your Bibles if you have one to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we are going to cover the whole book this morning. Uh, yeah, so if this is your first week here, this I'll tell you why in a second, okay? Um, but we are going to look at a key passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have one of our welcome table Bibles, uh, it's on page 157. There we're finishing up a five-week series through uh, the, the, the Pentateuch, okay? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, also known as the Torah. This has been a, a, a sort of a fly-by overview of these books so that we can get and understand the foundational plot line to the overarching story that Scripture tells us, the whole of Scripture is telling us this story that leads us to Jesus, right? The, the, these five books, they introduce uh, God to us. They also introduce us to us. They tell us why God created us and, and, and what our relationship with him should look like and why it doesn't look that way. These books present this unfortunate plot twist of mankind's sin and rebellion against God, and they point us to this need to be reconciled to God. But none of these books, none of these first five books, gives us the solution to the problem. None of them do. Instead, they offer these hints that a solution is coming, that God will do something to make things right. And then they force us then to keep reading and meditating on all the rest of Scripture so that we see this story unfold and we get to Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, it's him, okay? Now, another spoiler alert is that Deuteronomy is the end of the Pentateuch, but it's not the end of the story because it doesn't present us with the solutions. It doesn't give us all of the answers to the questions. In fact, it leaves most of the questions that we've had through these first five books unanswered. When will the seed of the woman come and crush the seed of the serpent like God promised in Genesis 3? How will God bless all of the nations through the one nation of Abraham's family like he promised in Genesis 12? Is it even possible for rebellious people to be reconciled to a holy God once and for all? And if so, how and when? When will that happen? The book of Deuteronomy brings us to the heart of the matter and we'll find that it all boils down to the matter of the heart. God loves his people and he wants to bless them, but they must obey his commands in order to receive his blessings. The problem is not that God's commands are impossible to obey. The problem is that the people's hearts are incapable of obedience because they love themselves and other things more than they love God. Deuteronomy will require us to examine our own hearts this morning. Are you and I any different than the Israelites? And that's one question that the book won't leave unanswered. So I want to ask the Lord once again to open our eyes this morning and we'll dig in. Lord, we thank you for your word that is unchanging. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray that through your words in Deuteronomy, you would turn our eyes to Jesus. We love you. Amen. The word Deuteronomy is a combination of two Greek words that means second law. And this can be a little bit misleading because uh, it can sound like Moses is giving a new law to the, 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 the Israelites, a, a new set of instructions, when in reality he's giving uh, the same set of instructions with a, with a few nuanced new ones for them, but to a new generation of Israelites. Okay? 
The previous generation had all died in the wilderness when they wandered uh, as a consequence for their rebellion against God for 40 years. When they refused to enter the promised land because they were afraid of its inhabitants and they didn't trust God to drive them out, even though that's what God promised that he would do. Now, the Hebrew title for the book is, would be translated as these words, or the words in English. And so it's taken from the first line of the book. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel while they were camped just outside the eastern border of the promised land. If you remember in Numbers, they came up on the south side and that didn't work for them. So they wandered and God brought them around to the eastern border. They're across the Jordan River looking out over the promised land from the plains of Moab. They're preparing to enter and take possession of it. But remember, Moses doesn't get to go in with them, right? Why? Because he rebelled against God. And God's command to speak to the rock so that water would come out. Moses didn't speak to the rock. He struck it. He struck it twice, in fact. And so this is his farewell address because after he finishes speaking to the new generation of Israel, Moses will die as a consequence for his disobedience to God, just as the previous generation did. So if you were on your deathbed, what would you want to say to your family? What would you want them to know or to do? What would you want them to, to remember? What would you want to warn them about? What hope would you want to leave them with? In his final words to his family, Moses calls the people of Israel to a covenant faithfulness to the God who has been faithful to keep his covenant with them. And Moses does this over a series of three speeches or, or, or sermons, if you will. And if he were to, to, to uh, title those sermons, I would imagine that they would sound something like this. Chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 43, they cover Moses' first sermon, and in it he recounts Israel's history to the new generation so that they commit themselves to the nation's covenant relationship with Yahweh. So the sermon title for this one might be called, Remember the Past So That You Remember the Lord. Remember the past so that you remember the Lord. Then chapter 4, verse 44, all the way through chapter 26, cover Moses' second sermon, and, and this covers the bulk of his exhortation to the new generation to worship God alone, no other gods, and to follow all of God's commands. So the sermon title for this one might be, Respond to the Lord with Wholehearted Love and Obedience. Respond to the Lord with Wholehearted Love and Obedience. Chapters 27 through 33 cover Moses' final sermon, and in it he lays out these blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience, and he predicts the inability of this new generation to keep God's commands, and he warns them of the consequences they'll face as a result. But he doesn't do that without also holding out hope for them. So the sermon title for this one might be, Rely on the Lord's Faithfulness When You Fail. Rely on the Lord's faithfulness when you fail. And then there's chapter 34, which serves as this sort of epilogue that talks about Moses' death and, and leaves the children of Israel wondering, will there ever be another one like Moses? Will we ever have a leader like Moses again? So let's take a look at the first sermon titled, Remember the Past So You Remember the Lord. Deuteronomy 1 through 3 is this short version of everything that's gone on from Numbers chapter 10 up until this point. And so if you don't want to read through all of Numbers, you can just read these first three chapters. Moses is recounting roughly the last 40 years of, to this new generation of Israelites 
because they were either children when they left Mount Sinai or they weren't born yet. And so in the retelling of their history, Moses is emphasizing a few important themes to this new generation. He begins the whole history lesson by saying this, the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, a.k.a. Mount Sinai. So right off the bat, He wants to remind his new generation of of Israelites that God is not this generic God. He's the covenant God of their people, which makes him their covenant God. They knew this, this covenant God by name, Yahweh, which he made known to them and no other nation. Remember that whenever you see the word LORD in all caps in your Bible, it's referring to this covenant name of God, Yahweh. Moses uses the phrases, the Lord our God, or the Lord your God, almost a total of 300 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And that's not to mention all of the other times where he simply says the Lord and uses God's covenant name. So he's always in this book reminding the people of this is our God, this is Yahweh, he's the one who revealed himself to us, he's the one who made a covenant with our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know him. He knows us. This is not some generic God, and this is not some contrived God. You see, it's vital that this new generation knows him by this name. It's vital that they know him by this name. In chapter 1, verse 8, Moses reminds them of the promise that God made to their parents. Uh, When Yahweh said, see, I have set the land before you. I've set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land Yahweh or the Lord swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their future descendants. Moses reminds this new generation of descendants first of God's covenant name and then of God's covenant promise. And and for the rest of Deuteronomy, whenever he speaks about the promised land, he always or almost always exclusively refers to it as the land you are about to possess or the land that Yahweh is giving to you as an inheritance. You see, it's vital that they, this new generation knows that they are the recipients of God's promise. Another major theme Moses emphasizes in this opening sermon is the, the disobedience of the previous generation. They feared the power of their enemies when they went and they scoped out the land, right? They didn't trust in the power of their God, and so they rebelled against God's commands. They turned the other way. They they, they refused to enter the promised land and take possession of it. It's vital that this new generation understands their parents' failures so that they don't repeat them. Moses also emphasizes God's faithfulness to the people even though they continued to grumble and rebel and whine against the Lord. In Deuteronomy 2.7, Moses reminds this new generation of the words that Yahweh said to them after they wandered in the wilderness because of their parents' disobedience. It says this, For the Lord, your God, has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this immense wilderness. The Lord, your God, has been with you these past 40 years, and you have lacked nothing. It's vital that this new generation sees Yahweh as a faithful and merciful God who will not leave the guilty unpunished. He's made that very clear. But who also will never abandon his people or his covenant promises to them. 
You see, Moses uses this historical uh, lesson, this, this history lesson to set up a theological conclusion to his first sermon. He turns the eyes of his new generation off of their parents and onto the Lord. This is more than just a moral message that he's giving. There's, far more, there's a far more important point than, than, than don't make the same mistakes that your parents made. That's not the main point here. Moses challenges this new generation to actually continue in faithfulness to God where their parents failed. Turn your eyes to the Lord your God. He tells them to listen carefully to the statutes and the ordinances that he's teaching them, the same ones that the parents learned but didn't follow. Now, this, this section is filled with phrases like, like, carefully follow these commands. Be on your guard. Diligently watch yourselves and be, be careful not to forget. Why? Why does he have to keep reminding them of this? Not simply because Moses is warning them against failure, but more importantly because he wants them to take hold of the blessings of God's covenant promises so that they can participate in God's covenant purpose. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8. Look, I've taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all these statutes, they'll say this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law that I set before you today? You see, by following God's commands, this new generation of Israelites would not only take possession of the land, would not only enter into the prosperous blessings that God has promised to them, but they'd also then display God's wisdom, God's righteousness, God's power and might to bring about these blessings, not only to his own people, but also to the nations, which has been his plan all along. These people would have the privilege of participating in his fulfillment of his covenant promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Moses concludes his first sermon with this final charge in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 39 and 40. He says, Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his statutes and commands, which I am giving you today, so that you and your children after you may prosper and so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Parents, what are the important things that you want to teach your kids? What are the important things that you want to teach your kids? What are the things that you believe are, are vital for them to know and follow? Do you tell them about your past and the mistakes that you've made? Do you hide those things from them? What could they learn from those things? Hopefully not how to do them better than you did. Do they know your motivation for the way that you live right now? And do you want that to be their motivation? As followers of Christ, it's important that we go beyond teaching our kids the historical reasons to avoid disobedience and teach them the theological reasons to pursue obedience. 
Ultimately, we have to help them look past their earthly parents and show them their heavenly father. And as part of God's new covenant people, his, his church, especially here in the context of this local body called Redeemer Community Church, you can participate in that whether you have children of your own or not. You can be spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers who point children to the Lord. One of the reasons that we want to reestablish the children's ministry here at Redeemer is that we are called as a new covenant community to teach the next generation the new covenant name of Yahweh, which is what? Jesus. It's vital that they know the name of Jesus. It's vital that they know and believe all of his gospel promises. It's vital that they see and understand our dependence upon Christ and our confidence in him so that our primary instruction isn't to them, don't do what I did, although that can be helpful. But our primary instruction is, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Grow in your dependence and confidence in him as I grow in mine and you see me do that. It's vital It's vital that this new generation sees Jesus as the faithful and merciful God who will not leave the guilty unpunished, but who also gave himself to pay the punishment for our guilt so that we could be recipients of all of his new covenant promises. Go read Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing. It's vital that we show them what it looks like to live in dependence upon God's word, that we believe his promises and and upon the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who will never abandon his people, who has sealed us for the, the day of redemption. It's vital that we show them, not that we just have wishful thinking, that we hope all of this will work out in the end, but we stand on the solid foundation of God's promises to us through Christ. And every one of those are yes and amen. It's vital that they know that Jesus is God and there is no other. These things are vital because we don't, if we don't show them, if we don't tell them to the next generation, what will happen? The next generation will soon forget who God is and they will turn away from him. Is that the future that you want for the kids in this room? Is that the future that you want for any other young person that walks in here? Is that the future that you want for anyone? Don't we want them to know the freedom and the blessings that are found only in Jesus Christ so that we must then teach them to turn their eyes off of themselves, off of mom and dad, and onto Christ. Teach them to follow him. But it takes more than just a children's ministry to do that. As important as that ministry is, teaching the next generation must be a way of life for Christ's people in Christ's church. And so how do we do that? That's what the next sermon is about. Titled, Respond to the Lord with Wholehearted Love and Obedience. Moses opens this sermon by giving the Ten Commandments to this new generation of Israelites. And if they're going to obey God's commands, if they're going to follow God's commands, it's important for them to understand what those commands are, right? Remember, most of these people were young children or they weren't born yet when Moses gave their parents the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And so now that they are the the adult generation, they need this sort of refresher on the covenant stipulations to which God has called them. Moses gives them the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, 
And in chapters 12 through 26, then he, he, he sort of unpacks those, the principles of those Ten Commandments and, and shows how they, they, they work themselves out in community life. But in chapters 6 through 11, in between those, those uh, two things, Moses emphasizes this importance, this necessity of obeying the Lord. And he revisits some of Israel's history again in order to encourage this new generation to remember the Lord so that they prosper and not perish. This is the whole purpose of obedience. God wants his people to have his blessings. Moses also warns them against self-righteousness by reminding them of the golden calf incident back at Mount Sinai so that they understand that the Lord is not giving them the land because of their righteousness. You did not earn this. He's giving them the land because of his righteousness. And in his righteousness, God is driving out the wicked nations in order to set Israel up as a royal priesthood and a holy nation who will actually display the wisdom and justice and might and power of God to all nations so that even those that were driven out have this opportunity to come back and know that God is God and worship him. Chapter 6 is at the heart of this second sermon, and it's really at the heart of the entire book. It summarizes the Ten Commandments into what Jesus later refers to as the greatest commandment. So if you still have your Bibles open there, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. This passage is commonly referred to as the Shema. It gets its name from the Hebrew word at the beginning of verse 4 that means listen. And that word shema or, or listen shows up 91 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And every time it's used, it means more than just like hearing something coming into your ears. It's always implying the need to respond to what's been heard. It's a call to obey the God that has told them all the things that he's told them. And so we could think of verse 4 this way, hear and obey the Lord our God's commands, Israel, because he is our God alone, and he alone is God. Israel's allegiance and worship must be given wholeheartedly to Yahweh and to no other. And what's their motivation for this kind of obedience? Love for the God who loves them. Verse 5 is talking about much more than mere affection and emotion. The Israelites are to love Yahweh with the totality of all that they are, with their entire being and everything that they think and they say and they do. If you have a handout, that's what this page on the front here is referring to. I thought this was really helpful to think through some of the, the, the nuances of my life. And what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is a way of life. 
It's a way of life that expresses love for God through obedience to him. Every time in the book of Deuteronomy when love is mentioned in reference to the people's response to God, it's always in tandem with obeying his commands. Love and obedience go together. And that doesn't change in the new covenant either. John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And he also says, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Now this is vital. This is super important for us to understand this because that means that obedience to God is an expression of love and not a requirement for it. Jesus didn't do what the Father commanded in order to have or earn the Father's love. He already had it eternally from before the foundation of the world. And so in the same way, we who have experienced this forgiveness and this grace and this love from God, through Christ, we've experienced the love of the Father. That means that we love him because he first loved us. He doesn't love us because we first obeyed him. When we remember that, it doesn't diminish our desire to obey God. It actually increases our desire to obey him because our obedience becomes this response of love for him as we joyfully rest in his love for us. It also changes how we respond to our sin. Instead of hating ourselves for screwing up for the 10,000th time and then trying to cover up our disobedience with more obedience, have you ever been there? We trust that our disobedience has already been covered by the blood of Christ. And when, then we run to him in repentance. We, we freely come to him for more forgiveness because we know that he loves us in spite of what we've done and only he can truly help us get back up and keep going. Is love for Jesus your motivation for obedience to him or is your obedience to him driven by your desire to get love from him? The true gospel teaches us how to live the first way and every false gospel teaches us how to live the second. God's requirement for the people of Israel was wholehearted, full mind, body, spirit, soul, uh, strength, Love and obedience to him as a way of life from the individual to the entire community. In Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, Moses says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Remember the Hebrew title for the book? These words. Moses isn't just talking about the, the people knowing the Ten Commandments. He's telling them to take to heart all that, the, that he's spoken to them in the book. All that Deuteronomy communicates. Israel took this command so seriously that every Jewish boy was required to memorize the entire Torah, the entire Pentateuch, by the time he was 12 years old. In chapter 11, Moses repeats what he says here in verses 6 through 9. And in chapter 11, he says this, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Back here in chapter 6, he, he continues by saying, repeat them to your children. That word repeat gives this picture of engraving something. Through the repeated teaching of God's commands, the Israelite community was to engrave or to, to, to imprint these things on the minds and the hearts of their children and on their own minds and hearts. The Lord had inscribed these, the, these commands on stone tablets, but if the people were going to obey them, they needed to be inscribed on their hearts. 
And this repetition wasn't just in a classroom setting. It was in everything that they did. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you lie down, when you walk along the road, when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. What are the things that you could go on and on talking about if you were given the chance? For me, it's bird watching. Some of you have been caught in that trap with me. Firefighting, roasting and brewing coffee. It smelled amazing this morning, by the way, Pam and Landy. Uh, and puns, okay? I've had some fun with those already this morning. These are the things that I love. These are the things that I'm interested in, and so it's natural for me to hear it like a trigger word and jump in and, and just go and talk and talk and talk about these things. It took a long time for me to say the same thing about God's word and the gospel. I would always shy away from carrying on a conversation about those things because one, I didn't feel like I knew enough to keep the conversation going. Or two, I was afraid of what others would think if I brought those things up. Would they just shut it down? What would happen? And I want to tell you that sometimes I'm still that way. But the more I grow in my love for Jesus and my understanding of his love for me, the more I want to talk about him whenever and wherever I can. And what I'm finding is that the more his word is imprinted, engraved on my heart, the more I'm able to talk about him in the context of those other things that I love and not just in place of those things. After the prayer meeting this past Tuesday, I was chatting with a, a brother and sister in the Lord about a bird sighting that my family and I experienced earlier that day. We saw this three-year-old bald eagle fly down and grab a fish out of the water in Lake Bloomington and then climb a, or, uh, land in a tree and start eating it. It was the coolest thing. It was awesome. And as I was sharing that story, we were just talking about it, and, and, and what hit me in that moment was that we were witnessing not just an amazing display of nature, but it was an amazing display of God's glory and his goodness and his grace. Listen, that eagle was killing the fish because of the curse of sin. Death was happening there because of the fall. That's not a good thing. And yet the way that eagle gracefully flew down, the way it precisely stuck its talons in the water and came out with a fish, it was just awe-inspiring of, of our creator God who made that bird. Only God could take something so terrible that resulted from the curse and turn it into something that would leave us in awe of him. Isn't that what he did with Jesus on the cross? And so, yeah, we got to talk about bird watching, which was fantastic. But we also got to talk about Jesus in the midst of it. And the three of us together there had this moment of gratitude for our God who takes and redeems all things for his glory. We got to talk about bird watching and Jesus. Moses wasn't telling the Israelites to do nothing else except talk about God's commands. He was telling them to talk about God's commands while they did everything else so that they would always remember how their way of life was meant to reflect the covenant relationship that they had with Yahweh. It's why our mission statement is what it is, to bring glory to Jesus Christ by helping each other connect the realities of the gospel with the realities of our lives. As Christ's new covenant People, 
We need to remind each other that our way of life is rooted in and it centers around our relationship with Jesus. We need to help each other see that Jesus isn't just a facet of our lives. He is our life. He's everything. We need to talk about the gospel in our homes and when we're in the car together. It should be the theme of our bedtime routines and, and the first thing we think about when, we, uh, when the morning alarm goes off. It should be reflected in the work of our hands. It should drive the way we think about things. It should be something that we walk out of the door with when we leave our homes and it should be something that we should pray and pray and pray that this community becomes known by we need to take every opportunity that we can to help each other connect the realities of our lives with the realities of the gospel so that those repeated reminders help engrave, help imprint the gospel on our hearts and on the hearts of the next generation. From what areas of your life is the gospel missing right now? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you do. Why not share that with someone here and ask them to help you find it there? And if you don't know, why not ask someone to help you see if there's anything lacking? Moses concluded the second sermon at the end of chapter 26 with a summary of the covenant. Deuteronomy 26, 16 through 19. The Lord your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. Follow them carefully with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, commands, and ordinances and obey them. And today the Lord has affirmed that you are his own possession as he promised you, that you are to keep his commands, all of them, and that he will elevate you to praise and fame and glory above all the nations that he has made and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he promised. Sounds great, right? The problem is that the Israelites won't be able to follow through on what they've affirmed. They won't be able to walk in God's ways with all their heart and with all their soul because their hearts are corrupt. And that brings us then to this final sermon titled, Rely on the Lord's Faithfulness When You Fail. Moses opens up this final sermon by stating the blessings that result from obedience and the curses that result from disobedience. If you take your hand out and flip it over on the back, that offers a really helpful summary of those blessings and curses. And then after they have this ceremony to renew the covenant with this new generation, Moses warns Israel against abandoning the covenant and turning to other gods as their parents did. This is one of those, don't do what your parents did, right? Don't follow in their footsteps. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 through 20. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. It's for their good. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey him and remain faithful to him. Here it is. 
for he is your life. Remember that from Colossians 3? And he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The choice is a simple one. Choose Yahweh and receive life and blessings or choose other gods and receive death and curses. Which one would you choose if you were Israel hearing this? After Moses laid out the options for the people, he and Joshua went to the tabernacle to prepare Joshua to take Moses' place as the new leader of Israel. And there the Lord told Moses, hey, you're going to die and the people will prostitute themselves with foreign gods. They're going to abandon me and they're going to break the covenant that I've made with them. And I know what they are prone to do even before they do it. How would you feel if you're Moses and you get this news? How disheartening would that be? Not only will Moses die without entering the promised land, but now he knows that the people won't last long in the land because of their own stubborn hearts. If I were Moses, I would feel like I've failed God and I've failed God's people. And that's what happened, right? But that's the point. Moses failed and the people will fail because that's what humans do. That's the human condition ever since the fall in the garden. God presented life and blessing to Adam and Eve in the garden. If they just would choose to trust him and believe in his word, what did they do instead? They chose to trust themselves and to believe the lies of the serpent. And instead of receiving life and blessing, they were exiled from the land, the garden, and they were cursed with death. From that point on, humanity repeatedly fails to love God with all our heart and soul and strength because humanity needs a new heart. So is all hope lost for Israel? It, it, it is if, if, if it's up to humanity to fix the problem. Back in chapter 10, Moses told the Israelites to circumcise their hearts and to stop being stiff-necked so that they could do what God requires, to fear him by walking in his, all of his ways, to love him and to worship him with all of their heart and soul. But now Moses knows that the people will remain stiff-necked and fail to do what God requires. If God's faithfulness to them is dependent on their faithfulness to God, we might as well close this book, pray, and go home and not come back. Because the rest of the Old Testament chronicles Israel's spiral downward of unfaithfulness to God tells about their exile from the land that he brought them in to possess. But we know this, right? The Old Testament is not the end of the story. Just like Deuteronomy is not the end of the story. And here at the end of Deuteronomy, the Lord leaves his people with hope. He says, I'll fix it. I will do it. Deuteronomy 30, 4 through 6. Even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, he meaning the Lord, will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord, your God. Do you see how important that phrase is? The Lord, your God, will bring you into the land your ancestors possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and to multiply you as he did your ancestors. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. Even though his people will fail him, 
God will not fail his people. He will change their hearts and enable them to do all that he requires of them. And God reminded his people of this promise later through the prophets who experienced the exile that he predicted. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a new heart to know me, that I am the Lord, Yahweh. They will be my people, and I will be their God because they will return to me with all their heart. How will God fulfill his promise? Deuteronomy 18, God told Moses, I will raise up for the people another prophet like you from among their brothers. I'll put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. And at the end of Deuteronomy, in the epilogue, it says, no prophet has arisen to this date again in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. And that prophet won't come until the New Testament. Only he's not just the prophet of prophets. He's the long-awaited Messiah. You see, Jesus spoke everything that the Father had given him to say, and he did everything that the Father had given him to do. He loved his heavenly Father with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, and he obeyed the Father's commands perfectly, without fail. And then he gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross to pay this punishment for sinners and, and rebellious people who are disobedient to God. Three days later, he crushed the serpent's head and he broke the curse of sin when he rose from the grave to prove his own righteousness and to secure the righteousness for all his people. And now anyone from any nation who relies on Christ's obedience through his life and death can have the, the, the experience the blessings of God by being raised with Christ And living with him in those blessings for all eternity. Are you relying on Jesus and nothing else? You see, you and I, we're no different from the Israelites. There's the answer to the question. We suffer from the same heart condition that leaves us stiff-necked and self-reliant, chasing after the things that we treat as gods and rebelling against the one who is God alone. We need a new heart and only God can give that to us. And a day is coming when the one true God will call each one of us to give an account of our lives. What account will you give? You see, today, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life so that you may live. Choose Christ because he is your life. Turn from your sins and trust in today. If you're a believer and you continue to struggle with a particular sin, my prayer is that Deuteronomy doesn't just drag you down further in despair, but leaves you with an unwavering hope in Christ. Every time we obey the Lord as his children, he's adopted us as his own. That's evidence of his transforming grace at work in us. And it's a reminder that he's already done the necessary work to change our hearts. Listen, you will fail. I will fail. We will continue to fail multiple times over the rest of our lives. In fact, by the end of today, we will come back and go, shoot, I did it again. 
But as his children, we no longer rely on our obedience to receive the blessings that God has promised to us. We rely on his grace. And so next time you fail, remember that Christ has already obeyed. Remember that he's canceled the debt of your disobedience, all of it. Not so that you can continue to do whatever you want, but so that you can freely and wholeheartedly do whatever God wants. Because he wants you to prosper. And he's given you the desire and the ability to do what he's commanded. See, the heart of the matter is it's the matter of the heart. So as those who've been given new hearts, let's remember the past so that we remember the Lord. May we be careful not to forget that we are recipients of God's new covenant promises because of what Christ has done for us. Let's respond to the Lord with wholehearted love and obedience. May our love for God above all things always be evident in our way of life. And let's rely on the Lord's faithfulness when we fail. May we continue to grow more confident in and more dependent upon his unending and unchanging grace. And let's imprint these words of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon our hearts and upon the hearts of the next generation and teach them to do the same so that those around us might see the wisdom and the righteousness and the glory of God through Jesus Christ in us and find the blessing of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it points us to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to lay all our hope in him. And if there are people in here who remain hard-hearted, stiff-necked, we pray that your spirit would take your word and work it deep into that heart, transform their lives for eternal glory. For those of us who you've done that for. Lord, would you renew our hope, renew our joy in you, and help us to keep going. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.